We're recording. Welcome to the Voice First Podcast, episode 174, I think. Definitely in the 180s. So what call did you get today, Pat? What was going on? Oh, yeah. I got a call from uh, Zamo AI. Zamo is working on releasing a platform. I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to talk about the platform, so I'm going to kind of keep it to the lessons that I learned from the call. One, the guy met me on LinkedIn. This isn't the first time, and I'm sure it's not going to be the last time that I find a business connection on LinkedIn. It just further attests to the fact that LinkedIn is a place where attention is undervalued and you get a massively positive return on investment for the time that you're spending on the platform. He found me. He said he wanted to get on a call. When I did get on a call, he said he already knew a lot about me because of my presence on social media. He was able to see my virtual handshake, so he knew that I wasn't like most people. I wasn't looking for a J-O-B. I was looking to lead. I was looking to have responsibility and really make a bigger impact on this world. I don't need the money. I want to make a change to this world. I want to make this world a better place. And I think that voice technology is going to do that. And I guess I was able to really convey that message using my virtual handshake. I haven't seen many people with virtual handshakes, but I think it's been a very helpful tool for me because some of the best relationships that I've had and some of the biggest sales that I've had have come as a result of the virtual handshake. What is a virtual handshake? So the virtual handshake is my chance to sit in front of a camera and talk about myself. So I talk about my, it's, it's like a virtual resume. So I sit there and I talk about the past experiences that I've had, the projects that I've worked on. And, um, yeah. Oh, and I continue to update that once in a while. Um, anytime I make a business shift or I work on a new project, I try to create a new virtual handshake. So right now I've had virtual handshakes out for about two years and I've had three different versions of the virtual handshake that kind of changes as my job title does. I post it on YouTube, post it on LinkedIn, post it on pretty much every platform. So that way, anytime someone's like, who is this guy? They can click on the video and then they can see. And in that video, it links all of the projects that I've been working on. So Alex was able to find that. Uh, His name's Alex Farr. We'll link him in the description below, but it's A-L-E-X-F-A-R-R. We connected on LinkedIn and we're talking for a bit. During our collaboration session, he was talking about how he's got advantages with the fact that he is in his 40s. He's already IPO'd and sold companies. And he had calls similar to this when he was young. He was telling me how he had a call with the CEO of IBM. His name, what was it at the time? It was Andy Grove. No, CEO of Intel. CEO of Intel was Andy Grove. And he sat down with him and he was telling him about the idea for one of the companies that he wanted to start. And at the time, uh, Alex was telling me how he said no. He said he didn't want to do it. He would much prefer the safety of the job. And he didn't think that he didn't see the value of the company that they were talking about building. And he used that as a way to talk about how this was a similar opportunity for me, that they had already received a lot of funding and they had already received a lot of interest from other venture capital firms and offers from firms like Sequoia Capital. So they wanted our team to join on to work with them so that way we can uh, continue to build out the products that were you doing at Voice First. But in addition to doing the products at Voice First, we are going to be working with them, hopefully. So what I did today to push that relationship to the next step is I sent them an email listing all of the applications that Voice First has put out. So far, as of January 2019, Voice First has 22 Alexa skills that are live in the Alexa skill store. And we have eight live actions for the Google Assistant. 
So a total of 30 live applications that customers are using, and we have data on how customers are using it, how many people are enabling it, and we can track that data over time to figure out the changes that we make that actually make our customer experience better. And now we're getting feedback from our customers in the terms of reviews on the platforms and tweets. And it really gets me to realize that we should be pushing the apps that we have already out more on our social media, like on Twitter and in our general communication. So that way people know the applications that we're publishing. They can give us feedback on the applications that we're publishing. The di- and they know the diverse set of applications that you're ca- we're capable of building. Yeah. So when cus- when other business owners are trying to think, okay, I have this idea for a voice app. Is this team capable? Well, every single day they've been following us on social media for years. So they see what we're capable of because we're sharing. Right now we're not sharing, but we need to. So maybe once a day or once a week we say, hey, here's one of the apps that we're using and take a customer story from the app and say, this is why the customer found it valuable to use the app that we built. That'll reaffirm what we're doing. It'll give the customers a chance to give us feedback and the larger social media community a chance to give us feedback. So Alex, whether or not we continue to work together, the act of going, finding all the apps that we built, recording the story from 2014 when voice first started all the way up until 2019 where we are now, we've grown a lot in this five years. We've had people join onto our team. We've had our team grow in size from one to however many people we have now. And we've had a lot of diverse projects. And this gave me a chance to really review everything that we've done because yesterday, if you heard the episode of the podcast, we created our 2019 goals. We, as a team, sat in one of the classrooms on the Ohio State University campus. We took over a blackboard, drew a giant timeline across, I want to say it's a 30-foot long room, and then we labeled each month. We said January, what we want for our company. February, how many dry cleaners do we expect to have? March, how many students do we want to have on Udemy? April, where are we going to be when we're wrapping up the legacy of Voice First on the Ohio State University campus? And then moving into our travel for the rest of 2019, going to Colorado, Montana, Utah, Canada, uh, and all of the other steps, states. <laughs> wherever the be, hell we want. Wherever go. we go. I mean, it's it's like when we were setting the goals, one of the things is like it's good to set goals so that way you create a direction for you to travel. But it's also good to be open to change because by the time we start traveling, collaborating with communities that aren't here in Columbus – We're going to probably get distracted in some very good ways and find ways to make our one, which is, hey, we want to travel around this country. And another person's one, which could be another voice app idea or another company to partner with, that'll create three where we pivot our idea, they pivot their idea, and we merge together to add value that neither of us could have tapped into if we had just been working by ourselves. So we have a path, we have a plan, but we're also going to stay open to change so that way we can keep pivoting always stay open to the new opportunities that we have and we can just keep learning and growing and collaborating with the community. It's a baseline that we can always be accountable for. We're ma- we're setting our we're setting goals that we need to keep ourselves accountable for and if we're not hitting those we need to ask ourselves some serious questions as why we're not and if we decide to depart from those we need to have a seriously good excuse or reason. Yeah, yes. Because we set the goals, and if we don't hit them, we have to ask ourselves why. Maybe it's a just cause, maybe Mm -hmm. it's an accident, but setting these goals gives us the context, it creates a context that we can always ask, why didn't it work, what can we do to improve and have actionable steps moving forward? Because if if we didn't set the goals, it's us just executing without a direction. And that's where we get wrapped up spinning our wheels, 
just not making progress, not making any visible progress. And just as a technical engineering mind, I can do that a lot where I can be really locked into a single issue. Like I could have spent the entire afternoon working on Bitbucket pipelines, trying to figure out how we can update Jovo to version two. Luckily, I had set myself a bunch of goals while I was sitting in class today so that I understood what I was working on in this exact moment, but I also knew the context of what it was I wanted to get done in the greater picture of today. So setting goals gives us the understanding of what is the bigger picture that we want to create at the end of 2019, and then what we execute on allows us to actually put in place the individual features, the students that we need on Udemy, the new businesses we need, the new research and development team, maybe even the venture capital funding that we might potentially need in order to bring these goals to life. There's a balance between the clouds and the dirt, between our execution and our ideation that we have to make to really make sure that we're successful. I think it will come to us as far as the venture capital funding goes. Um, I talk, when, we talk, when I talked with Rev1, they said most companies coming to the customer learning lab don't even have customers. So we already have six. That's huge. Do you, do you have anything specific? Talk about that a little bit. Talk about so, the, the Rev1 customer learning lab that we got invited to. The Rev1 Customer Learning Lab, it, we talked uh, previously on a podcast about it. Um, they run a lab that you go in, it's two full days and one half day. At the end of the half day, you pitch and you pitch to investors or other people in Rev1 and all the people that went through the lab. It's mainly from what I've heard from people that went through it. We have a friend, Krushi Patel. He went through it with his company, Perfect Fit. He is trying to do um, computer vision that would allow you to basically just take a picture of yourself and then anyone shopping online, you would be able to see yourself in that shirt because of the computer being able to see that. He went through it and he said that it's really a great networking event. And so you'll meet people that you're working with, but also maybe people in the venture space or just anyone in Columbus in general. So I think it'll be great for us to send some waves out to not just ourselves and people of the podcast, but get people even on the podcast interviewing them. Um, I think that was one of the things that I tried to do with Alex is we had the meeting today and I tried to record it, but Anchor ended up deleting the entire call. I've had that happen a lot. And rather than get frustrated, we try to just keep rolling forward. So to meet people at the event that we were at last night, we were at this event at what was the place? Idea Foundry? Yeah. So I wanted to ask how you felt about that. So we were at the Columbus Idea Foundry at a little bit of an underground startup meetup group where... We can share uh, secrets with each other and, you know, network and and get our ideas out there. If we have any troubles with certain uh, situations we're in, then we can network and someone we can help each other. We can help each other solve each other's problems. Um, So I wanted to ask you how you felt about that. Let me let me I'll explain the uh, format. And so everyone came. um, We all sat in a circle and we all had a give and a take. A give is something that you provide to everyone that helps. Like, for example, it could be anything. Um, I said that we could help anyone build a voice app. That was a give. Also, I have, like, other audio that I gave out that I um, people really were thankful for and they can use. And then a give or a take is something that you need help with. And so I said that we need help learning about the voice space. If anyone has any ideas about how we can build out a voice app in their industry or their space to let us know um and we went around the circle it took it took about two hours which i think it could have been sped up if everyone was only had one minute to talk but it ended up we had a lot of good conversations so what did you think about that 
I love the balance of people that were there. And I'm always I'm always surprised when I go to these events because they're usually advertised to me as entrepreneur events or business owner events. And we get there and we usually see a mix of people who are working full time at companies, people who are freelancing, doing their own thing, really responsible for themselves and their individual gigs. And then entrepreneurs who are in different stages of development. And going there, it makes me feel how unique we are. Talking with other developers here in Columbus, Ohio, seeing that nobody there was working on anything voice related. I feel like I was able to give a lot of, I was able to do a lot of gives by give, telling them the opportunity mm-hmm. that exists in voice because it's, it's not even new. It's been out for four years since Amazon Alexa came out, two years for Google Assistant, 10 years since Siri. And voice has been developed since the 1950s when we were trying to get single digit voice recognition. Voice is wrapped in the mainstream in call centers where you call a call bank, you say a couple things to the voice or to the call center, and then you get connected to a representative. I think it's called IVR, an interactive virtual reception or something uh, along those lines. But voice has been developed since the 50s, yet I still have to explain the value to people. Hey, one in five Google searches is done via voice. People don't realize that already. People don't realize that voice is more than just speaking to the Echo Dot and the Google Home Mini. There are devices with screens. You have the Echo Show. You have the Google Assistant on every single Android device. You have Amazon Alexa built into every single Amazon shopping app. There's 28,000 devices that are compatible with Alexa. So businesses still aren't bringing this into their formulas for some reason. They're not thinking of trying to sell their products on Amazon Alexa in voice commerce. They're not thinking about listing their storefront and giving customers help and allowing people to book appointments using voice devices. But the benefits are there. Voice saves people time. There is not a single person on this planet that can type faster than they can speak. There is not a single person that is able to write and convey as much emotion as you can convey with voice. With voice, you have speed, you have tone, you have the volume that you're speaking at that allows you to convey a lot more information with a lot less focus on how you create that information. So there's so many benefits you can have to voice. Yes, voice is not the one-stop shop, end-all, be-all. There are benefits to using text and using the web. However, people just need to be conscious and they need to take into account how big voice is, how pervasive the devices are, and the positive impact it can have, not only on their business, but on their customers' lives, to save their customers time, make their customers feel valued, and make them have more rich and engaging experiences on the platforms and systems that they're creating. So to go back to your question, I liked it. I agree it did feel a little bit long. I'm glad that I got to meet all of the people there because I get feedback from a different audience when I'm in an environment like that where I'm able to see what is a business owner going to ask me when they hear. Like as I'm explaining... I'm watching how other people are saying their gives and their takes. I'm watching people look a little bit dumbfounded or stumble over their words or forget what it was they were saying. Meanwhile, I'm writing everything down. I wrote down my ask and my give way before it got to me. That way I was able to clearly express what it was I wanted to give and take from this audience. And then I also gave and gave and gave. I gave like, I gave away the Udemy course for free. I said I could build any voice apps for these companies for free. I told them about... Jovo and all these platforms, but I write things down. And I think that because I write things down, I see other people pull out their notebooks and that's a positive influence on the event. Other people towards the end, were talking about wanting to share what happened. And one guy points at me and says, you took notes. Why don't you publish them? And I'm like, yep, you're right. So I took my notes and I published them because people find value in that. 
It allows me to be conscious in a different way than other people. And I feel like documenting events allows everybody there to be more conscious. When people see someone writing something down, they're more conscious of what they're saying and how they're presenting themselves. We talked about it. RJ tried to get the podcast there. Like it's a bunch of bright entrepreneurial minds collaborating together in a jam session. Why not document it? Because when you document it, it allows not just the people in the room to benefit, but everybody around the world can hear this mm-hmm. as a timestamp for those businesses. One thing was though that some of the things that we were sharing and like some of the things that we don't want to necessarily broadcast some of those things because either we're working on them and it's kind of a very internal thing or, you know, not necessarily something that you want to broadcast to the world, but you're willing to give to a friend. So what we were saying was a happy medium would be at the very beginning, everyone does a short intro and we'll go around and we can say a little couple words. Everyone maybe gets 30 seconds and then that will be the video that we can put out and or on a podcast and then we'll go and do the give and take where everyone can talk and then maybe if we want to record after we can record a podcast with someone and that is an example of one plus one equals three we had an idea hey we want to make this a we want to document the experience we want to make a podcast their initial response was no but as soon as we sat down the same guy that said no then opened up the discussion to the entire audience where we were then able to figure out okay like rj said There are those private things that we don't want to share the intellectual property. We also all want to document and share our experience because there is value in that. So we were able to come up with the three that added value that we couldn't have done on our own because we saw what we wanted to do. We saw what they wanted to do and everybody together created an option that we only could have discovered if we worked together. There was about 20 people there, I would say, from different disciplines, from like video editing, photography, Someone was creating a physical product that allows you to sew weaves into people's hair. Uh, Another one was a beauty. Someone does accessories. Um, We were the only ones that were doing software, which we, it was us, Pat and I, and then we had our friend Krushi Patel and our friend Brian Gaynor come with us. They're both software engineers. um, But we were, and I guess there's uh, one of our friends, Pablo Arlano was there. He's also a software engineer, but it was not as engineer heavy, which I think was good. But I also think like we could do an engineer meetup or something. But imagine another one of the great products that were there was, I forget the name, but it's a it wraps around your water bottle and it clings to anything metal, which would be great. Affixed. And imagine we have 20 people there from different disciplines. We create a podcast and also maybe a video. We can record it and we would put either it on Instagram or YouTube and then everyone could either link the wherever we put it, Instagram, YouTube, podcast link it to their people on Twitter. So not only do they listen to this round table that this person's going to, they listen to all the ideas and all the names of the people that were there. So it's just an excellent, like whatever audience they have can come to us. Anyone that has the, is watching the accessories that are, you know, the jewelry accessories, anyone in her audience, that's like, say a woman that likes the accessories, but she's also a software engineer. She might be totally interested in what we're doing. Yes. And it gives everybody the ability to put in the description, the links to their business and their products and their social media so that it doesn't just stop there. You continue at the end of the event, everyone walks around and we hand each other business cards and talk about how we're going to keep the relationship going. When it's linked there in the bio, in the description, Anybody around the world can find us, can connect with us, can buy our products, and it makes it much more global and much more collaborative when we do it like that. And it benefits everybody when we do it like that. So I I thought that the event was great. Yeah, it ran a little bit long, and 
but the environment there was amazing. It sounds like it used to be hosted at one guy's apartment. Yeah. And this seems like the first time that it was at the Idea Foundry. Yeah. Tom and, Burden, his he's the one who started it. He was on Shark Tank with his product Grit Map. Um, it's a mat that you can set on a car or an airplane or anything, and it's it's made of rubber, a certain type of rubber that's grippy, and it will hold your wrenches so that they don't slide off the plane or slide off the car or anything like that. So it's pretty sweet. Um, they used to be at his apartment. They usually are. That was the first one, not at his apartment. So it's it's a very underground type of thing, but. If anyone's in the Columbus area, um, you can reach out to us and we'll add you to the group. Um, I had. Is there anything else specifically that you want to talk about? Because I have a question. I have a good question. The question is, what is something that you've been pondering but you don't have the answer to? What is it that is stopping us from scaling? Uh, I, glad you brought that up. I'm excited to go to the Customer Learning Lab with Rev1 Ventures because we haven't really worked through and tested the customer experience. Nobody is going on and running through, actually typing in their credit card info, seeing what happens when the purchase is completed, checking that they receive an email, guaranteeing that there are no spelling errors in the email that we send to them, making sure that the customers actually have the ability to update their info. We haven't put on those glasses of trying to be a customer and sat down and tested what it is we're building. We, we put on those glasses when we're trying to decide what the next feature is that we're going to build. We think, okay, how is this going to benefit Mary who wants their dry cleaning done? And we talk through that story. But we never actually go and pretend to be Mary and test it out when we finish. We just, we add in a feature and then with the voice app, we test, yes, okay. We do a good job of testing the voice app. We have not done a good job of testing the website and all of the other services that are not the voice app. Mm-hmm. And that's probably because that's where our experience is. We're voice first. We've built a lot of systems for unit testing and automated deployments of our voice apps. So we've, we've set up good testing frameworks for the voice apps to, to validate the features that we're building. We have not tested it from all of the other systems that are connected in that and how those systems are connected together and how that experience looks for our customers. So I, I feel like the Customer Learning Lab is going to give us a good chance to really dive into that question of, how are our customer how is our customer experience? Is it a good customer experience? I don't know yet. We can well we can see how to save ourselves time, like we can say that we should put it all in one lambda function. We can see how the back end should be one lambda function or we should use we can see how we can save ourselves time, but they're gonna show us things that we don't even know we don't know. And it's not the greatest thing in the world. I think that I've heard certain things, but we are going to, we're putting ourselves, we're creating the context. And same thing with the Alexa conference. We're, we just created our, this context for ourselves to put in this conference. We're going to go network with people, people that are really like have been in the industry for longer than at least me for sure. And they have maybe more connections. We're going, we don't know what we're going to happen. And what we're going to see when we get there. And even one thing has, one amazing thing has happened already. We're presenting in front of like partners of the Alexa fund and VPs of VaynerMedia. So it's already, we're not even there and it's already become extremely fruitful. After talking with Alec, Alex today and going to the meetup event last night, seeing people, it's got me to realize that the people who have that experience who were talking about companies that IPO'd in the 1990s or in the 1980s, 
before I was born, they had experience doing what I'm trying to do now. Before I was born, they have experience doing what I am trying to do now. As a result of that, when I talk to them, they see the map that I'm following. They see, relating it to their own path, what stage I'm in along the same journey that they've traversed. And then they can give me advice on, okay, this is where you're at. This is probably what's going through your head right now. Here's a tip that I'm going to give to you. And because we're surrounded by 40 of those, I can say, awesome, I'm going to take that or no, I'm not. But because they gave it to me, it's giving me experience that I wouldn't have had otherwise. It's the same kind of experience I get when I read a book. When I read Creativity Inc., written by the founders of Pixar about how Pixar was started, I got to peek inside of Ed Catmull's head and see what it was like when he was following the map to creating one of the most creative and influential companies on the face of this planet. Think about how many kids are raised learning lessons from Pixar movies like Toy Story, The Incredible, Wreck-It Ralph, Up. Those movies define my childhood and getting to see the thought process behind the entrepreneur that built that and worked alongside Steve Jobs. It helps me to see where I'm at along this path to relate what I'm doing right now with what they did 20, 30 years ago. And it helps me to make one plus one equal three when I get to see what they did, see what I'm doing, and then try to figure out a middle ground where I merge the two to remix and create something that's entirely unique and was never thought of before because of the context that we're in. Imagine the amount of creativity that they inspired in kids. Without those, without Toy Story, without Incredibles or any of those movies, kids wouldn't have the imagination that they do now after watching them. So the um, Customer Learning Lab will give us the chance to talk with more of those people. And the Alexa conference is going to give us the chance to talk to more of those people outside of the Columbus area. Yeah. I think that's really important is where people live and the events that they're going to are all correlated with where they're located physically and geography. Convenience. Convenience. People aren't going to – some people have the money to fly to and from San Francisco to New York every single week. Yeah. Not everybody can do that. So by us traveling around this summer and into the fall and right now in January by going down to Chattanooga, Tennessee, we're getting to experience a new culture around voice. We've gotten to experience a lot of how Columbus is working with voice, which is the answer is very little. We're probably the biggest in most. Voice metrics is also very big in Columbus. Voice metrics mm -hmm. was, I would say, the first big voice company in Columbus, Ohio. I got to work with them to build out some of their integrations for one of their first products. And that was very influential in my ability to now create Voice First. I would say the second most successful voice company in the Columbus area, at least that we've seen so far. I mean, Columbus is very tech heavy. There's a lot of tech and it's a smart city. There's a lot of great initiatives, but it's not the yet. It's not yet the voice capital of the world. And we want to make it that taking us to Chattanooga, we're going to get to meet a bunch of new people that have been working on their businesses. Yeah. We can find, I'm sure there'll be business owners there, a lot of business people there who want voice apps to be developed, but they don't have the technical knowledge like, to do simply that. Simply for sales purposes, like this will be great. Um, I, I think for, you were talking about the young ideas versus the old ideas, like you being able to get advice from people who have this experience of like 20 years before you were even born. I think, you know, they provide these insights as going through time, you know, if they have 20 years of data, there are things that they like don't stray from. They know like for sure they're not doing anything other than this way. So that's one thing that they 
benefit. Like they provide as a benefit. But something that we provide as a benefit is that we see things like we see our ability to build things way faster than older generations because this is what we do. Like we do this 24-7 nonstop. Like we are way more motivated. Like on Saturday, we spent about eight hours on Saturday and Sunday working on stuff and putting our minds to it and just working on it. And we're just chiseling away. So when someone says that, oh, this can be built, and we're like, oh, yeah, we could totally build that, and then this and this and this. And, like, our vision is, like, we'll get that done in a month when they're like, oh, this will probably take a whole quarter. So us just working on the weekends, doing that, and it's not even hard. Like, we like doing that. Two of my biggest takeaways from last night, uh, one was a dopamine fast. Um, We learned from one of the leaders of the Business Builders Club here on Ohio State's campus. He was there last night. Shout out to Paul Cecil. Shout out, Paul. He came on and he was talking about a a dopamine fast where you wake up in the morning. The only thing you're allowed to do is write in a notebook. You can't open up technology. You really aren't going to be collaborating with other people. You're not allowed to eat. You're allowed to drink water and I'm sure use the bathroom. But from when you wake up to when you go to bed, all you do is write it down. And I feel like especially for me when I'm constantly in a state of motion and a state of execution, I don't take time to just sit with my brain, allow myself to be bored and write it all down in a notebook. Just let my brain, let all those random neurons get fired to create new ideas and then document it as soon as I have it. Because how many of us every single day have ideas that just disappear into the ether because we're working on something else or it's a random inspiration that disappears as soon as we have it? Or we're just being fed data by a television. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're being fed data by a television or we're being placed a bunch of social media posts by an algorithm that racks and stacks who it thinks will keep us on the platform the longest. Fast from that. We live in an altered state where we are constantly influenced by the technology around us. And by having a reset where we re-disconnect ourselves from that allows us to really understand what that contrast is between having no technology and being in the world that we live in in 2019 of the Internet of Things and artificial intelligence and social media. So that was one of the takeaways. The other takeaway was, like RJ said, we sat down and hacked for seven hours, and I love it. One of the biggest things I like about hackathons are the 24 to 36 hours of just absolute locked-in grind with a team, and everybody is there working on a single purpose. Snapchat this morning, I was on Snapchat and it popped up in my memories. It said, hey, here's your 2018 in review. So I was looking at some of the snaps that it had in the feed. And one of them was a hackathon I went to in Chicago called Uncommon Hacks, where I got to meet Krista Shukaro, who is now working at Google in Seattle. And she was one of the first employees at Voice First. I got to meet Andres, who interned for Home Depot, and he is now full time at Google as well. And Andres who, or no, I already said Andres. And then there is, oh my goodness, I can't remember his name. All three of them taught me so much. I was watching that snap. It was me eating this ice cream that was entirely made of bananas. If you haven't heard of banana ice cream, it's ice cream that's just mashed bananas and then no they put flavoring in it. Dude, I had that idea. It's really healthy for you. And Frozen it, bananas are literally so good. And I said, when I am older, I'm going to do it. Well, it's already done. Yeah, yeah, there are companies in Chicago that are doing it and they give it away. So for when free is that hack a thon? Uh it will be 
in uh, it's coming up. I think uh, March or April. Because what if we, as we were driving around the country, or even now while we're still in school, while while you're still in school, sucker, we went to hackathons and we just had them as like team bonding where we go and like we want to build something and we were like let's build whatever we want we can relate it to voice or we can do it and it would be like us you know like you know how creativity inspires technology technology inspires creativity we would do that at hackathons and then we could like maybe find people to join our team or something like that or we could sponsor it too I've been telling myself that we don't have time for hackathons, but in all reality, hackathons are probably one of the most positively impactful events of my life. I got to meet so many good people. It gave me a chance to apply all the computer science learning I'd been doing in class. It gave me a chance to try out ideas, fully implement them, and then be done, prove the concept, present it to a panel of judges, get feedback from other college students in less than two days. I was able to fully test out a product meet new people, get fed free food, travel to a new place, all entirely free on someone else's dime because the environment is amazing. I keep telling myself we don't have time because we have to build out products, but maybe the return of going to those hackathons is going to be worth more to us than to sit for that same amount of time working on a project. What would you say is the most, in like 10 words, most important takeaway from hackathons? Applied learning and networked experimentation. Nice. Applied learning, it's only high school and college students, so these are all students who are learning a lot. These are traditional forms of education where it's a lot of theory and very little application until you get an internship or a job. And the networked experimentation, we all have ideas, but we take very little time to actually experiment on them. And those of us that do experiment often experiment in a soundproof room or an echo chamber where we don't let in the ideas of others. Hackathons give us a chance to apply all of the learning that we've had in school, all of the theory that we've learned into a new idea that nobody's tried before. Collective knowledge. Collective knowledge. And it also gives us that networked experimentation where we have hundreds, maybe even thousands, depending on the hackathon of students, all working together on different projects. At midnight, you get tired and you walk around and you just start finding random people. You've been working for 24 hours, so your mind's not in the normal state it is of like, I'm not going to bother this person. You're like, well, I'm tired as heck. I'm not thinking anything besides like, I just want to get entertained for a couple minutes. So you just stop by a table. Someone's working on a project and you're like, what are you working on? They tell you about it and you're like, whoa, I never thought of using Node.js for that. I had no idea that Python had a testing framework like Selenium that you could use to run unit tests. I didn't wow. know that library existed that you can copy and paste basically anything you can imagine into your app. Going to these events gives you a chance to experiment with young minds. Companies want to hire young minds. Old people are afraid of us because they understand that we're more intuitive and we're innovative and we have ideas that aren't biased from years of experience. We were talking earlier it's awesome that we can collaborate with people who are in their 40s, 50s that have been executing on these ideas for generations, for decades. But the downside is, is they also have bias that's accumulated and is now influencing every single thing that they see and hear. Those are positive biases, but they're also negative biases that jade them from being able to see the opportunity that today provides. We aren't jaded by that. We aren't jaded by seeing a world that didn't have phones. I was born, we were all born in a world where phones existed and the internet was a thing. 1996 was when I was born and the internet was full flowing. It was the year that Pokemon came out. So I was raised in a world where Pokemon existed. 
that shapes who I am. People today, kids today are being born into households where they learn how to talk to an Alexa and a Google device, maybe even before they learn how to talk to their parents because they've watched their parents interact with these robots. Oh, I have a little cousin and he would talk to, I mean, he would just, before he was able to talk, he would do the animal sounds app and he would like yell like lion or tiger or something like it actually helped him talk and he can talk to it he can say like alexa and he can launch skills that he like wants like he can search or interact with the internet before he can like read it's pretty crazy like you learn to talk before you learn to read so yes another reason why voice is just so impactful We are benefiting, well, a lot of people in the millennial Gen X generation is benefiting from the fact that old farts don't understand mobile apps. They don't understand web apps. They don't understand iPhone versus Android. Younger kids are benefiting from the fact that our generation, the millennials and the Gen Xers, don't understand augmented reality. We don't understand virtual reality. We don't understand blockchain. We don't understand voice. There are all these technologies that are being created today. They're in their infancy and we're sleeping on them. We don't care about them. We don't think they're going to be impactful for us. For those kids, all they see is opportunity. And when they're going to hackathons, they're going to be the ones building the future because they're not jaded from the experiences that they've had. They're here with fresh eyes, eyes wide, bushy tailed, ready to build the future and disrupt the industries that are getting comfortable. So do you like audiobooks or... Do you like reading books? I read over 30 books a year. Uh, Last year, I would say about uh, one third of those books were consumed in audio form. I like reading books more. I I like physically holding the books and I like the feeling of the accomplishment of saying I read a book. I think it's a skill that I have because I was born and raised speaking English and I think It's something that allows me to continue to sharpen the saw of my ability to understand and really draw meaning from reading the English language. However, I think the benefits of audiobooks are that I can do them while I'm in the car. I can't read while I'm driving, but I can listen to an audiobook while I'm driving. I can turn an audiobook at one and a half or two times speed and I can consume a vast field of knowledge in much less time. So I guess... I I do heavily rely on reading books. As I'm saying this, I guess I should probably look at the book that I'm reading and decide if it's something that I really just want to bulk get the information and I want to just soak it up like a sponge. Voice books. There are a lot of voice books being written and I can't possibly read them all as they're being written. So maybe I should consume some of those as audiobooks while reading other books as physical books. And having a rather than trying to stick on the entire polarity of audio reading a book, I should do more experimentation to take the benefits that each medium provides of audiobook, physical book, ebook. They all have different benefits. Realize those benefits and then choose accordingly rather than just saying, this is what I'm going to do. I'm sold. I have tunnel vision and then not being open to change because when you first talked about audiobooks, that was my knee-jerk reaction was audiobooks are not as good as physical books. And I think some people have that thought and I, I think that the people that say that are not curious towards other people's opinions, at least around yeah. books. The reason I like uh, audio is because I am reading currently, Surely You Must Be Joking, Mr. Feynman. And that's about 
a book. It's a book written by Richard Feynman. It's a series of stories about his life, and it's a, it's, a, it's just a series of stories. And then at the end of it, it's the takeaway is a lesson he learned in his life. And so it's actually extremely entertaining. Uh, the way he wrote it and the way the narrator reads it is so entertaining because there's so much voice in it and there's so much like inflection and it really brings so much. It's a story. And so that book for sure is way better in audio form. And if anyone is interested in listening to it, it's one of Tim Ferriss's most recommended books. And one podcast, he said his top three books and it was one of his top three books. So you can get me on Instagram or Twitter at RJ Olay Olay. Um, I'll totally hit you up with that. Um, it's just an audio recording. But also, I'm listening to The Tao of Seneca. It's something produced by Tim Ferriss. And it's ancient advice that is still true today. So it's like advice that was thought of over 2,000 years ago. And it's still valuable today. Um, I read a, a Medium article by Ryan Holiday. And he said that that's really what people should focus on is that. So I've kind of been on the old books um, train lately. My godfather and I were sitting down talking about books. And one of the things that I've done recently with the books that I read are is I try to read books that are less than two years old because I like the context that it's applied. And his response to that is everybody is saying the same thing regardless of the time they're in. Everybody's saying the same thing, just using different words. Mm. And I, I agree with them on that. I think that surely you're kidding, Mr. Feynman, and The Art of War by Sun Tzu and The Odyssey. All of those books are saying the same thing as what we're learning today, but the context that they're being said in is different. Mm. And that's what makes these valuable to me. Hearing how Ed Catmull applied the lessons that he learned in these ancient books yeah. and how he twisted those into today's context in 2018 with social media, Donald Trump and the rest, that is what, that's why I want to read them now because the context that I'm reading these books in is really important. Reading 30 books a year. Yes. I start to accumulate a lot of those abstract overlying values that tie everything together, but the context that they're being applied in is different. The, the corollary to that is when I am 50 years old, 90% of the books that I will have read have not been written yet. The books that Future Pat is going to read have not been written yet. And that is really exciting to me. I just got goosebumps because the information is being created and we at Voice First, because of the content we're putting out, are going to be shaping the authors that are going to write the books that I read, creating this entire cycle of knowledge. Mm -hmm. So the last, kind of to wrap this up, I know you got to go work out. One of the last things that I want to ask you. I could go you, longer if you want. Do you want to just keep going? We could go to eight or whenever. No, you need to work out. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Um, so the last question that I wanted to ask you is, how do you think that it benefits us, it benefits our team as a whole, having the entire team communicating on Slack versus through phone calls and email and other forms of communication? What benefits does our team receive and our partners receive by being on Slack as a form of communication? It's just one place. For the team, every th everyone can be in the group that they want to be in, whether it's general where everyone sees it or it's a certain project that only a few people are working on. They can see it. Also for me though, like I'm in, I'm touching a bunch of different of these groups. It's one workplace for me. I can, instead of emailing, like I don't need an email signature. I don't need to go to my email. I just, I can talk to everyone in that literal environment it's it's so weird how 
think about the difference between email and Slack. Like it's messaging, but really it's not that different. Like the little tiny difference of Slack and email, like Outlook is not that big. And Slack is a billion dollar company just by saying, hey, here's a messaging thing where you can create little groups of people and everyone can like send each other pictures or videos or screenshots or whatever, code, blah, blah, blah. And it's just a stream. It's like a Twitter feed combined with texting. It's just insane how little of a difference that is from email. And it's a billion dollar company because it's just a tool that people like to use. It's just so simple. It's insane. And we can add more people into the chat. Like with email, I've realized that sometimes some of our partners will send us an email and it's only addressed to me. And then other times they'll send it and it's addressed to me and RJ and CJ. And having everybody in a single group allows us to keep that communication going. And and, keep the conversation going. And everybody's on the same page. Yeah. We communicate as a team in this channel. But then we also had email that was external. So the options were, okay, let's have either everybody communicate via email or let's have everybody communicate via Slack. And Slack is more real time. I feel like emails, when we're communicating via email, it tends to be longer forms of writing. And it's it's like, hey, I'm going to write you a letter and then I'm going to send that to you. (laughs) And I know you're not going to open it immediately, but I'm going to convey a lot of information that I want you to see. And I don't want this... I feel like email is not a real time conversation, whereas Slack feels like, yeah, I'm there with it's them. It's simply the context. That's we just because I get an email, it's like, oh, I don't have to answer that. But if it's in Slack, it's like you're more prone to just respond. It's extreme. It's it's just insane to me how simple that is. All right, well, this was the. I only asked one more question. Um, so when we were talking about books, um. I had a thought that we will be being interviewed for Angel Padilla's book. He does a lot of research on marketing and AI and how those intersect. He's talked to a lot of professors and he's writing a book on it and he'll be interviewing us in to be in featured in the book to talk about voice and AI. So are there any like things that you are excited about, about that crossover? I'm excited to one be in a book. I've, I've, we've never been in a book before. We're planning on writing our first book this year. I'm excited to see how the work I've been doing writing already is going to influence that. Is do you, do you know if he's gonna interview us and he's gonna write it, or if we're writing the section and then we give it to him? Oh, he's just gonna interview us and then he'll write it. Oh, well then, yeah. In that case, for us to be able to give him our specific context and our I, we, I feel like we've said context a lot. Our specific perspective to be able to shape how the voice community develops. Mm-hmm. Each of these books is a timestamp. I'm reading uh, Designing Voice User Interface, published by O'Reilly, written by Kathy Pearl. She's one perspective on voice, um, a more experienced... She's very active on Twitter. She, she is. I like tweeting at her because she likes my tweets and she retweets them. Which is insane how we can, someone wrote a book, you read it, and you're like, blah, 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 blah about this book, how it helped me, and then she'll retweet it. And it's like, well, I provided you value, you provided me value, that's great. One plus one equals three. Um, when you were talking about hackathons, I just wanted to say that Startup Weekend was probably one of the most fundamental events of my career um, as far as putting myself in the right context. You go there, and it's about, for me, the people, it's not about your pitch. It's not about the idea. 
It's about who do you want to work with? So when I went there, I was like, who seems the most legit? Who seems the most serious? Like, it's great for people that have never done the startup environment before. It's so great for people that are just like nervous and they are afraid to pitch or whatever. You don't have to pitch, but it's really encouraged. It's so inspiring. But I was looking for like the people that are serious, that are like ready to go. And so found them, you know, I'm not working with them now, but it led me to voice first. And so that's one of the most fundamental things is get up, go to a hackathon, go to a startup weekend, put yourself in that context, put yourself where you want to be. It's the people, it's the people, it's the people. Um, the principles that came up in my mind that the principles that I follow to make myself successful that came up in this podcast were enable the network because of at hackathons, you are helping each other and at startup weekend, you're networking, but also you're helping each other learn. Um, one plus one equals three. Obviously that's like all the time. And I think there was one more, but I forgot it. So any, anything that came up, uh, for you? Like your, your core principles that came up in this podcast. Yeah, a lot of the core principles I have came from the book, The Inevitable, Understanding the 12 Technological Forces That Will Shape Our Future. It was written in 2017 by the founder of Wired Magazine, Kevin Kelly. Remixing is big. Nothing is wholly original. Um, so a lot of what we talked about this is remixing past experience and future experience to create something new. No idea is wholly original. It's all based on things in the past, but taking two things that are brand new today or that are fundamentally powerful today and remixing them to get together. That, that was pretty core to this. Um, he also wrote thousand true fans. So that's a huge read for everyone. Have you ever read thousand true fans? I've not. Well, it's in, it's in tools of Titans. Oh, it's basically you create your fan base should just be focused on 1000 people and it should be that small. You don't have to think about that big because they will then, They'll be the inner circle and they will do your word of mouth marketing for you. If you have a thousand true fans, you know, your, your inevitability of success is extremely high. All right. Well, that is the conclusion of our Voice First podcast today. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Hopefully you enjoyed the audio quality. Woogity, woogity, woogity. 1,503 seconds. Bars. Bars. Yeah, we just spit 1,507 <laughs> bars on this podcast.